0: Yo, what is going on y'all? It's Alundas, this is the Winners Paradigm Podcast. Today we've got an amazing episode for you. we got my man Steven Snook jumping on, talking about his story of his life in prison for almost 20 years, and diving into these life lessons that he went through, some of the pain, processing that trauma, and then being able to help out our brothers and sisters. He uses the word of God to be able to help and cultivate Um, These pictures to be able to get people to see hey, you know, this is what our gift is This is what we could be able to do. So let's jump into this. You guys are gonna love this episode like I did Let's get it, man Got my story, you got
1: yours I've dropped blood, sweat, and tears on the floor Then look the devil right in the eyes and told him I want more When it's time to walk through hell's kitchen I ain't afraid to lace my boots back up Been there and back a couple times, but I made it through that stuff I realized if you wanna win, you gotta recalibrate your mindset Before there's no time left
0: Yo, thank you for tuning in. So first thing, go to the winnersparadigm.com and subscribe. That's the way you're gonna be able to keep up with the winner's paradigm. You're gonna hear about alpha influence media if you're trying to strategically build momentum to increase your influence so you can maximize that impact. Alpha influence media is for you. You're in strategic ad campaigns. We get you on the right shows that resonate with your message. We get you guests that resonate with you. And pretty soon here, we're gonna be doing real so you can kill it with your social media marketing game. Now, after that, you're going to leave that five-star rating and review, be able to get people coming back to this podcast to see how kick-ass it is, let a friend know so we can be able to keep this thing going. And thank you to our sponsor, MyFitLife. If you go to myfitlife.net, type in TWP20, you get 20% off all products, MyFitLife. So you're going to want to check that out if you have some CBD needs that are going to be able to help you. As always, you know, the move it sports gel is killer for me because it allows me to push through those workouts even when I am having those really bad joint pain as I often get every single day. So it's one of the things that allows me to zone in um, as well as being the best that I can be and being able to heal my body. So you're going to want to check out My Fit Life, TWP 20 for 20% off. My man, Steven, it's an absolute honor to be able to have you on the Winner's Paradigm, I am brother, and I really love learning about you as a person, number one, your story, and then what you're doing now, because it's amazing, brother. You came, you know, full spectrum, full circle on things, so for people who don't know who you are, brother, would you mind giving us a brief introduction, who you are, how you grew up, and then what you're passionate about today, brother?
1: Can do it, man. Good to see you, bro. Good to see you. Uh, my life, my journey is it, it's probably not as uncommon as some people would think. Um, but um, I was adopted as a child. My mother was 15 when she had me. She was 13 when she had my brother. You know, so we just, uh, it was just complete poverty. There was no man around, she couldn't handle us. And um, the story that she told me when I turned 24 years old and I spoke to her about it, I only met her a few times in my life, but when I spoke to her about it, she said she just couldn't handle us and she had to just put us out by the street and just called the the cops to come get us. So it wasn't because she didn't love us, but she was lost as a teenager um, in the late 70s and just wasn't able to do it. So I got adopted as a child and I was brought uh, to Illinois and I was raised by an aunt. And um, and that's kind of how my life started. That's how the the generational journey started. Um, My aunt, she married bad men you know, it's all she knew. She married uh, ex-military, but uh, alcoholics. So uh, the second one that she married that essentially became like my father, he was uh, he was a boxer in the military and he was alcoholic. And um, brother, he just taught me, my brother, he essentially he raised us like wolves. Um, he couldn't help it. He was out of control. You know, um, he shot off guns inside the house. He blew up a fish tank in the front of our house one day when I was about eight or nine years old. But um, he taught us how to fight he would uh my aunt would go to work she was a waitress very uneducated Uh, she would go to work he would take everything out of their bedroom dressers beds and uh, he would tell me my brother fight you know he'd turn a five gallon bucket upside down and start drinking vodka and we'd fight like that and and we'd fight like that for quite a while and then we'd go to school so that was essentially how i was raised as a as a youngster you know before i was even a young man it was a it was a very chaotic environment you just didn't know what you were coming home to
0: and brother, I honor you for sharing that number one. And I know exactly how it is. You know, uh, my dad abusive, alcoholic, and then uh, my dad was my dad was one of those like tough guys as well. You know what I mean? So for him, it was funnier when I was. Uh, I actually when Church church twenty one, he opened up to me, and he's like, "Hey, you know, when I was younger, you know, we had it hard. They would force us to fight each other. My cousins would make me fight each other before we can leave." And then I was just like, oh, and then he goes, yeah, you had it easy. You don't know. But one thing that he did is he made me fight my cousin. So it was one of those, like, you're going to whip his ass. And if you don't whip his ass, I'm going to whip your ass type deal. And I was always yeah. going at it. And then even on my stepdad's side, one of my cousins that we grew up together. So uh, I was a year older and he was always doing dumb shit in that. And, you know, when we would fist fight all the fucking time as kids. And my, my stepfather would get mad. He was racist. So he used to just say wild shit. And I'm like black people his ex-wife was black. So it was one of those things, you know, in hot hothead, like one time, the dog fucking grazed his hand and bit him my wife pulled the 45, got a pillow, stuck it to the dog's head and was about to blow its brains out like multiple times, you know? So it was one of those where like, I didn't think about it. My mom just froze up and then uh, he would try to get crazy. And I was already had this PTSD because my dad whooped my ass. And then my mom, uh, one time put her hands on me and like left scratches. So the school got involved because they seen it, you know what I mean? So definitely gets you on there, you know, on, on what it is. And you mentioned it, Um, I really love how you said, you know, when you're talking about your mom, it's and you didn't, you had to realize that fallacy of, you know, your mom did love you. It was just that she didn't have the means to take care of you then. And uh, that is why your situation, what it was like, I love how grateful you are of that and how you were saying that, because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I know I have friends like that, like they started doing stuff. So for you, brother, when you started getting into trouble, was it something that it was rooting from these things that you just suppressed it? You know, you were taught to fight, learn to be reactive and it led you down that path.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, there's, it, you know, it's, there it was a lot of gasoline on there, bro. You know, I was abused as a child in other ways. So it was just, it it was retarded, man, complete dysfunction. Um, just, you know, my life story has got a little twist to it, which every life story has. But when I was in about the third grade, they gave some tests at school and they found out that I had a, a, a an above average IQ. I was a little bit smarter and, and, They started to send me to a gifted program and I learned how to play chess there and um, just ended up, uh, you know, it looked like things were going to turn around, but you would come back home and nobody there watched the news. Nobody kept up on current events because it was chaos, you know. Um, So my life began to get into skipping school, uh, crime, of course, uh, drugs And, uh, you know, you just head down that pathway, man, like so many, you know, I, you know, sometimes I use this example, I gave a speech recently at Bradley University on violence in America, they uh, extended an invitation to me to come out there. And I spoke for about two hours to a class of um, future prosecutors and lawyers, you know, some of their brightest and the stories that I told them, you know, you could just tell that they didn't know that that was real, that that element was out there that behind that person that's acting out or that maybe becomes a criminal, there's a story there. Very few have that, that perfect life. And then they just go off into crime. There's not very many uh, Bernie Madoffs. Um, My story might be a little bit like Matt Damon and goodwill hunting. You know what I mean? Because God did gift me with a very strong brain. The difference is he left with the girl and the job. And I went to federal prison for 20 years you know, so there's, and, and my case is the normal case, you know, normally it's not, you're leaving with the girl in the job. So, you know, that's, that's the abnormal case. My, my case would be the normal, you know? So, um, yeah, I just fell into crime real tough, man. when I was in high school, I would be, I was the biggest drug dealer in my high school as far as marijuana. At the same time, I was the captain of the chess team though. You know what I mean? So it was just, mm-hmm. it was that type of thing. By the time I was ready to get out of high school, I was already traveling across the country selling drugs, you know, so I have a pretty significant criminal background from going down that road. You know, I've got drug trafficking charges. That was my main line of work. I had grand larceny. I was no stranger to law enforcement. I had a 17-year-old girlfriend when I was 21. I had just so many various different types, but predominantly drug trafficking, several of those because I was in that life. And you know how it is when you're in the hood and you're in that life, everything else just comes to you. You know, it's drugs and it's guns and it's girls and it's just, it's that life, you know.
0: 100%, brother. And I honor you for sharing that, brother, and diving deep on that. Uh, that was something for me. Like I said, I had a, a buddy uh, that stole two cop cars and he was out of hand, you know, slanked hard, but really good dude. Always took care of me. And I would ask him these questions and I'd be like, hey, man, like, what's going on? You know what I mean? And he'd be like, oh, my dad did this shit and he used to be on drugs. And that's why I'm just like out of control. Like he just did not give a shit. You know, I asked him why he did what he did. Homeboy's like, it'd be like that. You know what I mean? He's like, bitch, cause I can. And it, and it was true. Cause all that stuff was rooted. Uh, one of my boys that always protected me got kicked out of school for slinging. And then uh, he got into it because his dad got locked up and then he needed to help his mom support the house. So that's what he was doing. You know, he, me and him were kids since childhood and then I moved back home because I was living with my dad. So uh moved back home and then I started hanging out with him and, and we're hanging out like the same kids we were with when we were younger, you know what I mean? But everybody's doing shit then. And he really like just telling me about these things, you know, and, and suppressing it. So he was completely different because he went in, went to juvie and, and was like helping me with these things. So it was one of those for me where it was like seeing that, you know, having the friends, I would always direct people to them. Uh, and I knew things, but it was like being real intuitive because, you know, situations, you know, us being reactive is because we suppress emotions. We know how to protect ourselves. Putting our hands up is the only way we know how to do it, because sometimes, you know, you, you look at somebody wrong. It's on site. And that was kind of it for me. You know, I got punked at a young age uh, by a lady because I wore a pulled off sweater one day. And she was like, where are you from? You know, where are you at? And she came at me sideways. And then another one where my cousin started dating this cholo dude and fucking she took his iPod. And she didn't give it back to him. So they fucking uh, split up. Homeboy chased me down the street swinging a baseball bat. So I was just like, all right, I'm not gonna go to that, buy that house at, you know, between these hours, went back, told my friends. Uh, those dudes also spray painted her house, tagged it up, you know, with all their gang shit. So told my boys, you know what I mean? And then handled it. So it was one of those where it was like, Uh, I learned at a young age like how to read situations and how to be able to go through whether it was seeing it through my dad and then even environmental stressors to where it's like being at a grocery store seeing somebody and y'all staring at each other and you're like oh shit you know what I mean so for you brother when you were going through it uh let's talk a little bit about the reactive stage whether it was in prison or it was when you started flipping things around and changing it for you you had to come to realization that hey I'm like this because of um fear sometimes that it may be you know you think you can get hurt so you're like man I gotta I got to man up, I gotta be able to do these things, or I gotta be able to realize, hey, I'm like this way because of all these things that molded me, all these things that happened along that journey. It's not who I am, it's just I coped, learned to be this way. Um, so talk a little bit about that, Roland, how it was, you know, when you started flipping that around for you.
1: Yeah. Well, I tell you, when you're when you're brought up like that and you're trained to go. And what was unique about what happened with my brother and myself, which my brother ended up going on later and becoming a tough man champion. And, you know, as I was going into prison, he continued along in that vein. But there's a difference between a guy that can fight and is pretty tough and is willing to stand up for himself and somebody that's actually had some training like that since they were young. It'd be like uh, Tiger Woods learning how to hit a golf ball when he's really young. So, you know, when the gloves come off and, and, and you're trained to go like that, society won't tolerate it. So you're constantly getting kicked out of school. Um, and then you throw in there the, the criminal life that I was living, you know, 17, 18 years old, bro. I was jumping on an airplane, f- flying from Illinois to the Mexican border, getting loads of dope. You know what I mean? So I was all the way in it and determined to to be the biggest and best in that life. OK, so the first time I went to prison, I was already banging tough. You know what I mean? I got the big gang tattoo on my chest. Um I'm just ready to go at a drop of a hat. You know what I mean? Um, spent quite a bit of time in solitary confinement during that first sentence. Saw some things that were completely abnormal. You know, I saw a man one time. Uh, the, the first time I did a significant amount of time in solitary confinement, I did six months. And a, a man killed himself across the hall from me. And this was in a maximum security prison here in Illinois, Stateville Penitentiary. So I wake up in the morning, I'm eating breakfast and he's hanging from a a sheet in his cell and his neighbor across from him that's also in a barred cell has made a line and he's fishing into his cell to try to get his shoes out of the cell to, to take his shoes from the dead man because the guy took his shoes off before he got up and hung himself. So, you know, you start seeing that. I think at that time when that was happening, I was probably 21 years old, 22 years old and you just don't care, man. You know, like your buddy, he just said, "Man, listen, I just don't care. This is where I'm at. And this is what I'm doing." You you become desensitized to the madness that's around you, um, and with and, you know, and I, and I, you know, you have to kind of talk about those things. You don't you don't want to glorify those things, but you talk about it because you say, "Look, this is where I was. This is how bad that the situation was, and this is what happened. It turned it around." So when I caught this federal case, I got caught with about 12 pounds of cocaine. I was in jail for this case. Uh, got a visit from my younger brother and directed him to go commit a crime from inside jail. Was, I was not going to change even though I was facing essentially a life sentence. He went to go do the crime. He got in a high-speed police chase as they were coming around the corner and throwing guns out of the vehicle. He got in a, a, a deadly car crash and was paralyzed down one side of his body and was on life support. Uh, they put, he had severe brain damage. They put steel plates all up down his body. When I got word about that, that he was there on life support and it wasn't looking like he was going to make it. When I had that phone conversation and they told me what was going on, it, I didn't get the phone conversation out of me. I just hung up the phone. I went to, I went to my prison cell and I just got down on my knees. And, and, you know, in America, the thing about America is, you know, there is a God. There's a church on every corner in America. You know, and I just got down on my knees and I said, God, man, I just need you to come into my life. You know what I mean? I need the the course of my life. I need it to change. This is, you know, not only am I bringing this destruction to myself, I'm harming people that are around me that I would actually say that I care about. And uh, so that's when I got born again. That was in 2003. And that's, uh, you know, that's when the the wonderful things, the good things kind of started. You know what I mean? And uh, so that's how that happened.
0: Thank you, brother. I had a, I, I had a mute because the baby. But uh, right. yeah, hundred percent, brother. I, I loved you know how you jumped into that and and really you talking about you know when it started to click and and you turning it around for you and going through these situations. You know it definitely shows how much you grew and how much you realized. Like man, everything that you were doing, you know, led up to that point to where now you're flipping it around. So first, you know, when you're still in prison, you're helping out. Uh, Other people around you, you know, what was that like? Where you know, when you're born again and you're preaching this message, like life was just different for you.
1: Yeah, and I've got to throw this in there because if I don't throw this in there, I'd be amiss. You know, there's a there's a real famous podcaster. uh, I'm sure you heard him, uh, Ed Milet. He's huge, right? And and I saw not long ago that he had a guy come on his show. I won't say his name, but you'll understand the description. He got a bunch of time in prison, and he came out of prison with that redemption story. And he's doing fantastic. man. he is, uh, you know, he's getting podcasts and he's writing books and he's talking about how he changed his life. It was inspirational. But it was some bullshit in there, too, that you can recognize if you've lived in the street. And the thing is that guys in prison won't buy that. Now, maybe I here some guys that he talked to about it and I saw him do some corporate meetings. They would buy it. But guys in prison, they can smell it because they've been dealing with it a whole life. The man told a story, dog, he said he got in a fight every day for the first two or three months that he was in prison. And he said he lost 75% of those fights. And I'm looking at this guy on the video and I said, he's lying. He's got perfect teeth. They ain't chipped up like this. I've had my eye knocked out, dog. I've got a steel plate in my chin with four screws. I've had my jaw broken. I've had my nose broken. I've had stitches behind my ear. And those were like ties. You know what I mean? When you get in a fight in jail or prison and everything in there is steel or concrete, the winner of that fight is usually banged up. You getting, you know, all these. So one of the things that that men always respected about me in prison, I'm keeping it 100. I'm going to be authentic. You know, even with a story like mine and turning that life around, there's still things that stink. You know what I mean? Um, it's a process. You don't just get born again and all of a sudden the light comes on, man, and, and, and Jimmy Swaggart or somebody like that, it doesn't work like that. There's a lot of trash in there that you have to work to pull out. So, you know, I just want to throw that out there because during the course of those years and years and years in prison, I would do everything that I could do to help others, to try to help dudes that were strung out on drugs. Uh, the gang members all respected me because I was still hooked up. You know, we had a rule that that you had to be on count, or you had to check in and go to the hole. So I would be on count as a gang member, but also walking with the Lord. I might hold a Bible study, you know what I mean? And the brothers would respect that, and they would come. So, you know, I can fast forward through that a little bit and just give you, you know, a real good quick story, man, that I think you would enjoy. In 2017, they put me in solitary confinement for over a year, okay? Again, a, a very minor thing it wasn't a violent act at all but in america they really really practice solitary confinement which is wrong but it's 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 practiced at the state level it's practiced at the federal level to the to the extreme and it's not good especially with mental health being such a severe issue in our country right now you're taking a man that's already in a fragile mental state because he's in prison he's away from his family and you're putting him in solitary confinement for very minor offenses for lengthy periods of time but that, that's a story for another day, but it is absolutely not right. Um, but I spent that year, bro, in prayer and fasting. And that's where I really discovered fasting. And, you know, I would fast sometimes for a week at a time. And um, that's when my spiritual life and my spiritual walk with the Lord changed. It, it, it came to the point where I, I no longer went from believing in God. I no longer went from believing that Jesus is the son of God. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to get preachy on you, brother, because I know it's not that type of show, but I went from that to actually knowing. And when I went to knowing, because I was hearing from God on a regular basis, it took me to a whole nother level of being able to help other people. You know, Um, one of the things that happened, and and let me just say that when I do tell you, if I tell you a story, because guys used to come up to me in prison a lot, man, an old timer, a guy that'd been down as long as me, and they'd say, hey, Rooster, tell us a story, man. You know what I mean? Tell us, let us hear something, man. They gather around. I tell them a story about maybe something I saw in prison in the nineties or in the early two thousands or later, you know, something that was, you know, beneficial to them. Um, one, one of the things that happened was while I was doing all that time, solitary confinement, I was doing a lot of praying and fasting. Lord started to give me dreams. And, um, in those dreams, sometimes he would tell me a name. Sometimes he would tell me the name of a person that would be coming to my unit. And, uh, you know, it started happening so frequently, bro. I would just write the name down. I would just write it down. Um, initially I would just write them down and set them next to my bed. But then I I would tell my neighbors about it. And of course they knew me and respected me from being in the prison with me. Uh, And they were like, man, that, you know, that's crazy dog. I said, well, check it out. you know, next time, you know what I mean? I got you. So I had a dream. I wrote a dude's name down. I handed it to my neighbor across the hall, big gnarly skinhead looking dude, blasted out tattoos everywhere. And, uh, Next day, man, dude, two dudes walk in the unit, Latin kings, gangbangers. And they go put them in the cells down the hall. Everybody's locked down. It's a solitary confinement. So I hollered at a dude. And I said, yo, if you don't mind me asking, man, what's your name, home? I said, I ain't on nothing crazy down here now. I'm a Christian, man. I said, I just want to know what your name is, dog. He hit me with his nickname. He said, my name's Hustler. I said, yeah, but if you don't mind me asking, home, what, what's your real name? He said, my name's Fernando. I said, Okay. My man next door has got the paper. It's got the man's name on it. So the man next door, he started laughing, like just like it just tickled him so much. So I hollered the dude. I said, hey, man, I need to holler at you, man, because I had a dream about you last night. The Lord gave me your name. It's on a piece of paper in the cell next door, man. Dude's got it. Um, I don't know why, but, you know, the Lord Jesus is trying to get your attention, man. So he, the dude, the other dude they brought up there with him, he hollered out because they had been roommates. And he said, yo. That's crazy, though, because you was just talking about how lost you've been feeling. So the dude, you know, freaked out a little bit. And he said, look, he didn't want to talk about it out on a tear. I told him, shoot me a kite if he wanted to talk. And he wrote some stuff down on paper, man, shot it down there. We corresponded back and forth. I asked him, was somebody out there praying for him? He said, yes, mama was, because his brother just got murdered in Chicago. They're active gang members. They're Latin kings. And I said, look, bro, the Lord's trying to get your attention, man. You know that. And the man ended up getting saved. You know what I mean? The man got born again. And then he took that with them when he was released from solitary confinement. He was able to take that with him somewhere else. So it was it was an awesome time, man. It was a supernatural time, you know, um, and God started a little ministry back there. If I can just give you an idea of what this particular solitary confinement was, it's in Marion, Illinois, which was a maximum security ADX. This is the prison where they held John Gotti and some of America's worst. Now, they've since dropped it down security levels, but the structure of the prison is still the same. So out in front of my tier, a couple of officers had been murdered right out there. You know, this is a place where it's just it's it's depressing. It's darkness and it's, it's just a really bad environment. And we started just having Bible studies back there, man. And guys would ask me, man, to preach, man. They said, Roosterman, man, pick something out or they give me a scripture or they give me a question about the word and I'd come with it, man. Because, you know, I dedicated myself to it. I felt like the Lord put a burden on me, man. If I give you a brain to learn this and understand it, I need you to share it and teach it with these men, man, to help these men. If you don't do it, bro, who else is going to help them? So a lot of these guys started leaving and getting transferred to California. Uh, Some of them had come there from California, from federal prison in Mendota, California. They were getting transferred all over the country. They were taking that with them. You know what I mean? What they had gained back there. So, yeah, it was
0: an awesome time, man. And that's awesome, brother. And I'm, I really honor you for sharing all those things, brother. And that's a hundred percent, you know uh, what I love, you know, is you just being real about it. And for me uh, what was huge is, is really just hearing that. Cause sometimes like you can, you could definitely, and I love how you said that people can pick the shit out that what you say, you know what I mean? So for me, I said yeah. that, and uh, my business partner, Zach Babcock, me and him had a real conversation like that one day, uh, actually in person, when we are in St. Louis and I was just like, yeah, man. And then I was just like, I was reaction as a uh, reactive as a kid to where I would be um, talking. And, and when I was a kid, I was getting a lot of fights suspended fifth, sixth grade. And then I got older, I got smarter, you know, so I started hesitating when I was talking. And he's like, looks at me and I'm like, hey, man, you ever act scared? Because, you know, you're going to win a situation. You can get out of it. And he's like, what? And he goes, yeah, man, I used to do that all the time in prison. And he's like, there's sometimes like you just act afraid and like you're not going to do something. But in your head, you're like, no, nah, I'll do whatever I got to do, you know. And, and he's like, it was just moving around people. It was knowing things, know your audience, know when to talk. Uh, one of my boys, like we knew how to talk to cops because we smoked in the park where we those kids that fucking hung out in the park every day. So uh, they'd be smoking before. I only did a couple of times before school, but I would always be kicking it there and the cops noticed that so like they would always stop me and one of my boys uh we would always find that one thing with people so he would be like hey man and he'd walk around with the guitar so like all of a sudden went from us like gonna get checked and searched to them just asking hey man how's this and i'd be like oh one of them was jack so i'd be asking the cop like whatever it is you know and they would leave us alone so it was awesome like telling that story and be like yeah man like i learned these things hanging around people And that and one of my boys took care of me and it was something where it was like we were always trying to figure out, hey, you know, your audience, who you're speaking to, when is when, when you got to be about it, when you are about it, and then just being that good person in helping out who's around you, you know, so something for me is like, wherever it was at, we break bread with people, we'd be cool with it. So love how you shared that brother. Last thing here before we jump into the final question. uh, What was it like, you know, you getting out of prison and then really focusing on what you're doing now and what you're passionate about brother so if you can dive a little bit into that.
1: Okay. Uh, Yeah. I I appreciate the intro. That's a good question. One of the things that I noticed um, when I did get out, okay, first of all, when you come out of prison after doing 20 years, you're in shock. You've never used a cell phone. You've never seen Facebook. Your children are grown, you know, so the whole world's a different place. But one of the things that I noticed that was very similar to prison is that the men out here that I was encountering had the same type of problems, you know, in a different way. They were having issues in their family life. Maybe they were having a problem at work or they were having a problem with their wife. And it would also multiply into other problems in their life. They might turn to the bottle and turn to drugs. And the reason I was exposed to that and I was able to make that connection that these men are, are sharing similar problems to the same men that I was able to help in prison is because I joined a men's group here in uh, Peoria, Illinois, where they sent me. I'm not from here, but I joined a group and meeting in the bottom of a church. And a lot of these men have been going to church there 15, 20 years. It's just a group of men to get together and talk about issues. And I started to hear the issues. Everybody's got a story, you know, and I started to hear about what they were going through in their life. And, and I realized that we were dancing around the real problems. We were dancing around the real issues. If you want to get some help, And you want to change the the course of your life or change the course of your thinking to be able to help your wife and be a better husband or a better father. We better get down to the root. So after being there for a couple months and being relatively quiet, other than people knowing a little bit about my story, having been in prison for so long, I started to ask some deep questions, bro. Say, hey, how many guys in this room It's a big room? It's a lot of guys, 50, 60, whatever's there. I said, how many of y'all been sexually abused as a child? And the hands started flying up, man. And after we did this and we had the little talk, they said, man, we ain't never talked about nothing like that. We ain't never talked about nothing like that in here. That's I me. Mean, y'all been going to church for 15 years, man. And y'all never talked about this epidemic that's in America? No, we cannot have this. Because if we don't address these type of issues, we can't fix the real problem and try to figure out why so many people in church is going home after church and getting drunk. You know what I'm saying? Or addicted to porn. You know what I'm saying? We, we gotta get down in there, man. So dudes love it when I come in there and bring it real like that. You can't give it to them all the time real hard like that because I don't wanna ever come off as preaching. But one of the things I did while I was in prison, man, was I interviewed a lot of people. You know what I mean? I interviewed people that were having problems in their life to try to get down to the root. That was how I could help them. I interviewed some of the most famous criminals in, in America that are currently in prison. I had a roommate that was a speaker of the house. I had roommates that were chiefs of gangs out of Chicago. You know what I mean? And you can sometimes find common threads in these people's lives that are from two different walks. So, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do right now, what I'm doing with my life is I'm trying to help other people that are out here. They may not have a similar story to me. I will help people that have been in prison and I've done that since being out. But at the same time, I can help a guy that's an engineer at Caterpillar too. You know what I mean? Because he'll come to me and be like, yo, I heard your story. It's inspirational let me tell you what was going on with me. And I'm still dealing with this 45 years later. I've been successful in my life, but I've got this issue. I said, okay, let's dig into that. You know what I mean? And I word on it too. You know what I mean? And we can get in there and look at what God has to say about it. We can work on it from that area and we can work on it from
0: in the natural too. You know what I mean? hundred percent brother. And thank you, you know, for diving deep on that hundred percent, uh, you, you definitely could tell, you know, how far you came and, and you have a passion for helping people. And it's one of those things, you know, God gave you. And I love how you say that, you know, for me, we don't get real preaching on the show or even jump into that. But I love the way that you're using that I and mean, you're helping people and you're diving into these things. and You're asking those tough questions because that's something for me that, you know, I recently said I uh, told my uncle something that happened from when he dated this chick. And one of his kids was older than me and made us do shit, you know what I mean, with the sisters. And uh, my uncle was like, no, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I'm like, bro, you was doing drugs and in rehab for meth. So how the fuck are you going to be telling me what the fuck's going on when I didn't even share it? And I tried to, you know what I mean? I said a couple of things, uh, oh, we made out and they shut it down. So it was something like I processed and I'll, I'll tell you more, you know what I mean? Of other things that I seen as a kid. So like, I just was on a different level in the way I was thinking. So love that man. Cause that was something that resonated with me because we typically don't talk about the things as men or what shaped us and did that. When you start peeling back those layers and you're like, fuck, this is the reason why. Or in my case, you know, um, I learned how to read situations in that and it was at home first and then other places. And then you had to talk to certain people and be able to get through situations and and figure out, you know, Hey, what's going to work for us? How are we going to get through this? Even in the times where you're like afraid and you're like, fuck dude, some shit's going to go off. You know, you can only control so much of your environment. I'm literally in St. Louis and I'm talking to Zach and I'm like, I fucking hate Fresno because all this shit uh that same day there's a fucking shooting right where my wife and my daughter were so like that shit clicked in my head I text them on the airplane I'm like hey bro this shit just happened and I was just fucking upset you know what I mean like I was so mad at myself that day because I was like I didn't want them to experience or go through those things because I don't talk about shit like that you know what I mean so it was one of those where I was like fuck dude and then literally a month later uh one of my boys dies from the drive-by and he was just slanging. you know what I mean so I was just like, fuck, like I grew up with this dude. And I was like, I'm really fortunate, you know, that I moved on to things in life and now can talk about these things, even though, you know, uh, it's stuff we don't want to do. So wrap up this last question here, brother, if we can talk to our previous self and really work on recalibrating our mindset, we're at square one, we're trying to align ourselves with our definition of success. What would you tell that person, brother? I would say start
1: with dedication and desperation. Okay. When I, when I did that five years in solitary confinement, I sat down and I wrote the book that has the story of my life in it. But the last half of the book is about God's supernatural and the supernatural that I witnessed in my life and in other people's lives around me and how he was able to change that. But how did you, how do you tap into that? You know what I mean? How do you tap into that ability to completely transform a mind where you go from the point of God healing you to God actually resurrecting you into a new man. And it's starts with dedication and desperation. If you're desperate enough and you're willing to be dedicated enough, and perhaps I said them in the wrong order. Maybe it starts with that true desperation and then willing to be dedicated. Then there is an answer. There's an answer to all those problems. You know what I mean? And if you can't find them in a book or you can't find them on YouTube or something like that, you might... you you can get there man
0: so you cut out brother uh there was a part where you're talking about quiet desperation working through these things and you're peeling it back um is was there anything else you were finishing on there it started freezing up and i we couldn't get that apart brother Emphasis, and I think we're freezing up again, so I don't know.
1: Are we we clicking out?
0: Yeah, it did a little bit, so we're we're good, brother. (laughs) Uh,
1: it's, It's the desperation and the dedication. If a man is desperate enough to see some changes, to see some solutions to some problems he has in his life, and he's willing to put in the dedication, there's a way out of there. There's a way out of that mental trap. You know what I mean? There's a way there for spiritual growth. And you just have to find the, the person that may have been through that or been through something similar. You know what I mean? It's willing to share with you. Um, it's, 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 it's been an interesting journey. I will say that it's been an interesting journey. I ask God all the time, Lord, show me who I can help today. Because when you're in prison like that, one thing that you can't do is just walk up to people and be all preaching because they're not going for that. They don't want to hear about your jailhouse religion or come out and tell me what to do. But if you wait, until the Lord speaks to you about somebody and says, hey, I got a word for that man right there. Go give it to him. That word will be so dead on point that you'll see the biggest gangster in your unit start crying. It will resonate with him so deep. You know what I mean? And then it'll, it'll take him to the point where he sees that there's a reality to this thing, that there is a remedy. And that will spur that dedication in him. He knows he's going to he knows he's desperate. But when he sees that there's a remedy being presented, that puts that dedication there. Man, I want this remedy.
0: I want it, you know. And and thank you, brother. That was great. I definitely love, you know, your words of wisdom right there through everything you've been through, brother. I I honor you for sharing these things. And I said that multiple times because really, I like talking about those things on that personal level and getting to know people and really peeling back these layers, brother, because it's something like you said, you know, when we do it, it changes lives. People realize it. You know, we're helping people. We're talking about the shit they not you know in my case they're like oh we thought you were good we thought you were doing this and i'm like yeah bro like i was and then i had you know was getting by doing what i got to do kicking it bullshitting and then still going through this shit regardless you know even when i'm like oh i'm not going to be uh being a, a dumbass anymore doing dumb shit going to parties because i knew what that was going to end up for me you know so love that brother where do people find you if they want to keep up with you they want to hear more of your message and learn more from you brother but
1: right now, the best way to reach out to me is Jesus Speaks LLC at gmail.com. And I, I had to put the LLC on the end of it because there's so many Jesus Speaks out there. But I got the Jesus Speaks LLC YouTube channel. It's got some videos on it. You know, just, I want to just bring up a real interesting thing. I put a little bit, uh, a little what they call a short YouTube short. All this is new to me, the terminology. But I put one out the other day, got 11,000 views in about 10 hours. And I spoke for about 40 seconds on a lie that I saw about a law in the criminal justice system. Okay, I believe I could put more of that content out and get tons of views because there's so many problems there, especially when it comes to violence in America and the gun laws where some really common sense out of the box solutions would work. That's why they asked me to come speak at Bradley University. But I pulled back from doing that, bro, because I don't want to take away from who I am and what I want to talk about, which is salvation through the lord and change lives man change lives not a life never ever changes from just going to church dog it just doesn't work like that you know what i'm saying something like that would never work for a guy like me it wouldn't work for a guy like you you know what i mean that's not going to change me going in there singing some songs until i'm in a frenzy and coming out and feeling good about myself what's going to change you is when you're hearing from the lord man if you're hearing from god and you got a word for your wife, like baby? I was praying, man. I heard something from the Lord, man. I feel like you know this is like you know what I mean. That is what's going to change lives
0: radically, man. Brother, you you hit on something. And I'll end it with this. Uh, that's something I'm big on, bro. Uh, that's something I've been working through because I say it a lot. And I, I'm another new podcast. I rambled on one day about you know being a Christian. And uh, I'm glad I processed that, you know what I mean? And and people could see that. But I was talking about, you know, my dad, uh, we would go Saturday nights to the church, and then homeboy would get shit-faced after, beat his wife, and then fucking church on Sunday or watching football, you know what I mean? Or vice versa, you know, go Sundays. But it was one of those where he's like, you need to pray, you need to do this, and it was forced upon going to a rich church as well, to where it was like, bro, you don't understand these things. Uh, I got kicked out of that ch- uh, fucking youth group because my friends are smoking weed. And they said I was when I didn't even do it then. So it was one of those where it was like, you associate yourself. And I had such this thing because I seen, you know, people judging other people and really saying all this shit. And that's where it clicked to me. I was like, bro, I'm not going to stand behind something. And you mentioned it, you know, you got to take massive action for regardless of anything you're doing. And it was one of those for me where it was like questioning every single thing, you know, so I did some soul searching, um, really worked on it, you know, recently, the past year and a half, got into meditation heavily, and then it allowed me to pray a little bit more, because before I'd be like, I don't understand how people can pray for 40 minutes, it's just another form of meditation, you know, so that's what they're doing for that whole time, you're saying affirmations, you're saying whatever it is, clearing what's on your mind, focusing on the breathing. And it was something for me where I was like, man, you know, you do, you got to live this shit. You got to be able to do it. You got to feel better. Cause if not, like you're lying, you're going to have that out your conscience. You know what I mean? You're facing that regardless. You're looking yourself in the mirror. So you keep talking that like me, I've went through, it, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm processing information now. Um, I'm understanding like I'm reacted cause it kept me alive and I I thrived, But at the same time, like that shit's not good when I'm communicating with the wife, you know what I mean? Because she's saying something and i'm popping off because tonality and i i can't judge it because i'm so used to people screaming you know so definitely loved how you said that brother, because you got to put that work in and for me that was something like that you know went from being like oh i don't know if there is a god to now being like yeah you know i absolutely believe in god and i'm a believer and i'm about helping other people and being that you know i'm not going to judge you for what you're doing because at the same time like we say we're not going to do these things yet we do it and it's one of the things we didn't like other people doing a lot so that's of my last rant for the day brother but I definitely will have you on in the future if you'd like to come on again because I really had a, a fun time jamming with you talking about these things and helping out other men and women you know who are either in the positions or you know dealt with these things when they're currently struggling brother
1: I oh, appreciate it man thank you for having me man thank
0: you brother I've got my story you got yours. I've dropped blood, sweat, and tears on the floor. Then look at the devil
1: right in the eyes and told him I want more. When it's time to walk through hell's kitchen, I ain't afraid to lace my boots back up. Been there and back a couple times, but I made it through that stuff. I realized if you want to win, you got to recalibrate your mindset before there's no time left.